This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Matt and Patrick here today. Patrick back. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Guest free today, so you're more than welcome to join us at any point if you so desire. Um, the uh, yeah, Patrick, how are you doing there? I'm doing all right. It's been kind of a long week. I was uh, out of here for a couple of days. No, I'm glad to be back. Can in. you can you talk about why you were gone? Yeah, I was at jury duty oh, yeah. on Tuesday morning. I uh, was not called to serve, so I just kind of sat in the back of the courtroom while the interviews were conducted. And when they picked the uh, the 12 members of the jury, I was dismissed. So I'm finished with my term. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, it, for the most part. It, well, you actually had action. Can I say that you've had action? I've been on jury duty twice. And both times I just, well, one time was over the holidays, which really stunk. Um, but basically they, they, we, we showed up for the first day for half a day because of a holiday. We got there for the, the second half of the day because no one, they weren't going to schedule any court times right around New Year's because it was between Christmas and New Year's. They, they basically said at the, at noon today, if we haven't called you, there was there one trial got called and he says, if we haven't called you, you're done because we're done for this week. So that was that was one. But the other one, I sat there for five days, and you know, at no point did they even call me to go into a courtroom to be qu- possibly questioned. Um, so yeah, no, it's it, 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 you get it. I mean, it's part of the deal, man. You gotta, you know, that's that's you know, jury of your peers. That's how they get them. And you know, no one, you know, really. I mean, I don't remember anyone in my jury duty is like, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I, was there anyone that was just do, doing backflips over jury duty? There actually were a couple people who were like, I've never done this before, so I thought it would be kind of neat. And I, I don't really know what this person was thinking now that they were actually there being mm. interviewed by the attorneys. But uh, that's at least because the attorney asked, you know, first, are were any of you particularly excited to get your summons? And then there were the she follows up. Were there any of you pretty ups? Were any of you not so happy to get your summons? Yeah, well, it's 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 kind of one of those things. It's what you got to do. It's what you got to do. So, well, welcome on back. I hope it was a good time. Are we still supposed to get rain tonight? I mean, well, outside of the Vikings about to get pummeled by the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you know, it, I mean, are we supposed to get any kind of rain tonight? Do we, do we know that? It might be a 50% chance with the weather report that I looked at this I, afternoon. I'm sorry. You know what? It's I've already determined that this is what's, what we're going to get. What it's going to be is the day it turns 20 degrees out, we're going to get two feet of rain. And then it's just going to flash freeze, and that's all. It's like we're we're going to technically be not in a drought because we have you know we had all this rain in a, a very short period of time. Ugh, just ugh. 
So I'm looking at this. Uh, partly cloudy skies this evening. Fine wind. Occasional showers overnight. Occasional showers, which basically means nothing. Friday, though, now, it's like showers in the morning. Okay, so chance of showers. It, we need it. We need it. I mean, we so desperately need it. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you're seeing some of the trees already. So, Have you seen some of the beautiful trees around the metro already? Yeah, and I've already seen up north. I think we've already got a pocket kind of up on the iron range. It's in the, I don't know, 50 to 75 range on the color finder. It's a a reminder how spectacular Minnesota can be. Um, It it is just a little odd that here in the metro I'm seeing – because it's so dry, the trees are just—they, you know—they've given up. They said, "Okay, fine, showtime, boom." They're—they're <laughs> they're going colorful. Uh, there's a few around, but it—it's yeah, it's not—you know—not not supposed to be like this. That's for sure. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. I gotta start off with, um, I want to—I want to start off with 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 um, how disappointed I am in Bill Barr. Because it's it's clear to me that he's about as much of a Democrat as Joe Manchin is, and don't get me wrong. I mean, it's the the Democratic Party has, I think, has indeed moved a little more to the left, not dramatically, but through forty years of failed conservative conservative policy. Democrats have come on with the idea that, well, if the free market's not going to help people and people are truly suffering, well, then, you know, the government has a job, you know, role to step on in. Or in the case of the writer strike and the, the SAG after strike, the, the, you know, that if, if, if workers are getting taken advantage of, they have the right to strike and they should be able to negotiate a, a decent wage. I mean, we are at the point there, I think, when it comes to, you know, left-leaning organizations leaning more, a little bit more to the left, they are in response to how far right things have gone. I'll get to that a little bit later on. There's a, an interesting story that leaves out a huge part, but I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later on. You'll understand where I'm going with it. Bill Maher, um, it, you know, basically just announced that he is going to start his show again even though the writers are on strike. And we have to understand this is the threat to writers and actors right now is so massive because of AI, artificial intelligence. They've already, in some cases, used AI in TV shows, written scripts with AI. And the feeling is that, you know, and, and you can actually program, say you have a, a writer named John Smith, you can program a computer to write a script in the style of John Smith and then pay John Smith one-tenth of what you used to pay him to polish up the script that the AI just wrote of his style of writing. That's how crazy it is. And the writers very legitimately have concerns and they should be addressed. Same through SAG-AFTRA, that they, you know, it's, you know, the idea that in, you know, I, I, I saw Jessica Chastain in a story, Jessica Chastain could have her image and likeness and her voice and everything loaded into a computer. And in a hundred years from today, she could still be starring in movies, but not getting any money whatsoever for it because they just basically, it's all computer generated. That doesn't even include the potential for something like Jessica Chastain's likeness and image being used in stuff like porn and stuff, which is even a bigger freaking nightmare. 
But that's where this is kind of going. You are creating a world now where the individual doesn't matter. It's just what you can generate from a computer that emulates that individual. And the writers and the actors are legitimately having a problem here. Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore as well recently announced plans to resume their shows amid the Hollywood writer and actor strike, drawing backlash from union officials and public figures alike. Maher hosts Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO. Barrymore is behind the syndicated Drew Barrymore show. Marr, who announced his decision Wednesday, said in a post on Twitter that it's time to bring people back to work and that much of his staff is struggling mightily. But Marr also said that he will honor the spirit of the strike. Oh, okay. By not doing monologue or his popular new rules segment, in other words, eliminate uh, elements of the show that require writers. Now, Bill Marr has already been very much on the, he has said some things which very much can be interpreted as very much anti-writer. And his, you know, he has, he's, and, and it's interesting if, you, if you've actually listened to him get interviewed and talk about things, he has a very business model mentality that the writers should be grateful for what they can get. Uh, writers are a dime a dozen. We don't need them. I mean, well, he, he you know, I think we're going to see fairly quickly he needs them, but <laughs> that's for sure. But, you know, yeah, he um, he's not been very helpful there. I feel sorry to a point for Drew Barrymore because I don't think this is Drew Barrymore out there saying, I want to bring the show back. I think she's being wrestled contractually to bring the show back. Her show resumes airing on September 18th, struck a similar tone. She said in an Instagram post earlier this week that her show may have my name on it, but it's, it is bigger than just me. She also indicated that she'll be in compliance with the strike terms. In her case, she did not mention anything about writers, but notice she will also not be discussing or promoting filler television that is struck of any kind. Union leadership didn't take kindly to either of the decisions. The Writers Guild said Wednesday that Mars planned to return. It was disappointing. The union has already uh, picketed tapings of Barry Moore's show and they should because and and Stephen King chimed in on this he said this is how you know bright strikes get broken is that basically it's it's guys like this and then you know it, 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 there is an interesting joke from Dana Carvey uh that I I went back and I I was a few weeks ago I was watching from Dana Carvey and Dana Carvey has never um come across as a guy who was right wing and as a matter of fact, I, I, I mean, I, I'm in, I'm not, I know he came out of that right-wing crew from Saturday Night Live, but I don't think he was necessarily part of that right-wing mentality. But during his, his, his bit, he made one joke that I was like, wow, really? And that was, he said, I was flying first class across the country. And he says, and he just before, before it's like, like this, work harder, just tells the audience to work harder. And I said, wait a second, you're one of the one of the greatest voice comedians of all time. I mean, you've been given a natural gift. You're one of those rare people who's like a superstar athlete who has natural physical ability for the sport that they love to play. And you are good at what you do. So you just sort of saying to the guy that works on a on a um, a machine line, you'd work harder. And then you'll get you know, first-class tickets. Well, that's kind of stupid because that's not how the life works. You've been successful. You've been great. No one can deny that. But it, it, it tells you a lot of the mentality. Now, in the in case of Dana Carvey, Dana Carvey, I believe, writes most of his own comedy. Usually they have one or two friends that they work with. But comedians, for the most part, write a lot of their own comedy. But it, it kind of exposed a mentality I think you see with Bill Maher particularly – 
which is he has no problem when the, the cameras are off and he's backstage and they bring out a cake and he talks about how I appreciate everybody working here. But when it actually comes time to start showing how much you appreciate a, all that you have in the case of Dana Carvey, I mean, he's natural ability. I mean, one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. Don't, don't act as if everyone else can get there just because you got there. And in the case of Bill Maher, I don't think he is nearly as quality as Dana Carvey is. He has gotten there because a lot of writers have helped him along the way to be funny. And so it's, it's that, that's the kind of thing about him. I can kind of just, I, when I think about Bill Maher and I look at this story and I just like, ah, oh, really? I mean, one of the first things I think about is just, you know, how many writers helped you get to where you are and here at the kind of guy that basically is like, work harder, work harder, work harder. You need to work harder. And, you know, it's, it's, your argument is things are pretty mightily bad for your, your staff right now. But at the same time, what you're to get back to work, what you're saying is I don't care how bad the writers get treated because I really don't care about them. And so they can get paid nothing, which in turn then forces us more onto AI and they get paid less and less to where basically everything's computer generated and we go from there. I don't have a problem with it. And that's that's the thing about Bill Maher, which I really can't stand. It's this it's this cavalier kind of, oh, well, you just work harder and that's how it goes. You know, it's it's I can't think of anyone who's creative who basically can just when when the card cards are stacked against you. I've talked before about uh, when I worked in I was working as a marketing manager for a, a company called Blakeway Panoramas for many years, uh, and and I, I helped them out. And we'd go to these seminars, we'd go to these con- conventions and stuff like this, and they'd always have a seminar on how to deal with China because if you produce if you're an artist and you produce a piece of art that has any traction whatsoever. There is a group of people that are emulating your exact, not even like, it's your exact art in China, and then it gets slapped all over everything. And the story, the the consummate story that I remember was there was an artist who was walking around New York City, and she walks past a stationery store, and she sees a stationery set with cards and a pen and a notebook and all this, and it's her artwork all over it. And she walks in there. She goes, where did you get this? And they said, oh, we got this from the distributor. She goes, well, I didn't authorize this. Who made this? And she basically tracked it back to it was a Chinese company who basically made all of her product and, and copied her product and put it on this material. Sometimes they don't even copy. They'll just steal it. And they'll put it on the materials and you're out of your royalties. It's really easy to look at someone who is creative and say, well, just work harder. It's another thing to acknowledge that in the case of the print guys and the, the guys that are doing the paintings and stuff like that, that the world is working against you because if you do start getting any bit successful, you have people who are trying to basically copy your work outright and take away your money from you. In the case of the the writers or the actors, you have computers who are ready to step in for you at any point and you know, then the only thing you can hope for is getting hired for a fraction of the wages to clean up the script that the computer wrote in your style. How about that? And that's some scary stuff right there. And yeah, 
I just I, I'm I'm incredibly disappointed in Bill Maher. When I saw this story and I and I and I saw this, I just sort of said, okay, this is not this is not a Democrat. I don't know. I get it. He was a Democrat in that Bill Clinton era, but I think he was more I think he was more clearly a moderate Republican that just kind of read the room early that said, I can't really be a Republican today because they expect me to be far right, so I'll pretend to be a Democrat and then here we are. Because I can't figure out how some guy who who claims to be on the progressive and the democratic side of things would would betray his own staff, his own staff like this, and act like he's done a he's and and listen to his jackassian excuse. It looks like he sounds like he's I'm noble in my cause. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. But yeah. You know. Yeah, good luck with all that. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So the rest of this hour probably is going to be dealing with the story that just will not die, and that's the SRO story because there's even more. And once again, thank God for the Minnesota Reformer because if not for them, I, I mean, it is infuriating to watch how half-ass the news media in this town is approaching the story that it clearly is being dragged around like a, a, a cow by its nose because they it, it, it's stunning to me that they just will not ask the obvious questions which completely and totally undermine this, this far-right cop, far-right school board, far-right politician narrative that they're trying to push. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. So, I am, it, it's clear that I think there, I mean, it, it's clear that this whole SRO thing is just political. It's, it is clear that this whole SRO thing is just political. That's all it is. I, I say that because there is no there there to this, their argument. Once again, I, I think here are the basic questions which... That the Republicans and these police officers are not required to answer in regards to their objections to the SRO rules. One, considering you can still step in on a fight or a threat of violence or a crime happening, are you saying that you're upset that you can't on a hunch or a suspicion or because you just want to not throw a child into a restraint grab them, throw them to the ground, that, that, that this, your inability to do that, not to some child that's doing something wrong, but whenever you have a suspicion that that is a bridge too far, that, that you, you, you that, that, that's, that's your real problem here is that you can't just grab a child whenever you want to. Number two, why, if this is so bad, are multiple uh, police departments still having their officers in schools? Why? Why, if 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 this is such an outrageous overreach, why are many of the officers that are part of the SRO program still in their schools? And then lastly, you you do realize the DFL hasn't yanked anyone out of a school. The school districts and the police departments and or both together they're the ones who have yanked the police out of the schools, that there is multiple reasons for this. Now, I want to go back 
to the original story. This was a Minnesota reformer story from, I believe it was like the 29th of August. And there were two segments to this story, which I thought this will be the end of this. But once again, the crap job of the Minnesota political media, the crap job that they have done in following up on this is the only reason this has lasted as long as this has. And so this is one of the reasons why I feel I have to, on a daily basis, call them out and call this whole thing out. So Minnesota Reformer story, end of August. Here, here are the two passages from that story I'm going to read again. Number one, under the law change, police officers assigned to schools called school resource officers cannot use prone restraints, meaning placing a student in a face-down position. In addition, the law states they cannot inflict any form of physical holding that restricts or impairs a pupil's ability to breathe, restricts or impairs a pupil's ability to communicate distress, places pressure or weight on the pupil's head, throat, neck, chest, lung, sternum, diaphragm, back, or abdomen, or results in straddling the pupil's torso. Officers working in schools may use these kinds of restraints, however, to prevent imminent bodily imminent bodily harm and or death of a student or to another. They can basically, if a crime's about to happen, if a fight's about to happen, if someone's about to try to stab anyone, these rules that restrict them from just throwing a kid on the ground and jumping on them basically don't exist. They can do whatever they want. So this is this is literally officers who just want to go on out there and grab a kid and throw a kid down and not face any kind of consequence for that action. That's what this is. This is all a bunch of officers who are, that, are, that are protesting this or school boards. They just feel as if somehow, some way, random adults grabbing children and being aggressive with them for no justifiable reason is somehow raising a better society. We agree to disagree. Um, Republicans say if it's a problem, if the school resource officer cannot intervene in a conflict once it escalates to the point of being um, in a conflict, once it escalates to the point of there being imminent bodily harm. You, no, it's you, you. You are you saying that a police officer, if there are two people arguing in the street, that the police officer should be able to just put someone in a chokehold and hold them down on the ground under the argument of it could have gotten to a fight? I don't think so. Now, instead of grown adults, imagine that's children. Here's the second cut from that original story back in late August from the reformer. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison issued an opinion last week clarifying the law, and he noted that reasonable force may be used to prevent bodily harm or death. What is considered reasonable force varies on case by case, Ellison says in his opinion. And basically, he go, you know, it goes on to saying that the, the county attorneys in each individual instance will be the determining factor, which basically means the county attorneys are not going to prosecute. And so this is this is really even just this is just words on paper. It's it's the county attorneys are going to allow the cops to beat the crap out of any kid for any justifiable reason. That's just that. That's just the way the system works. Maybe not Mary Moriarty in Hennepin, but pretty much every other county attorney is not going to sit out there even if unless there's a dead kid or a seriously injured kid and you've got definitive proof that that cop just basically went up there and walloped them, there's not going to be any accountability. 
So once again, the lowest bar we can put into freaking place, the absolute lowest bar of competency, of accountability. Going back to the the original story. The League of Minnesota Cities, which insures all but nine cities in the state, issued guidance on Monday about the new changes in a memo outlining some of the scenarios where the use of force is lawful. For example, officers are not allowed to physically stop a student who is throwing lunch trays on the floor and shouting, according to the League of Minnesota Cities. Officers would be able to use force, however, if the student is then throwing the lunch trays at someone else because obviously it could result in physical harm, according to the League of Minnesota Cities. The authority to use the force uh, for the sole purpose of restraining a student has been removed from the law. There, thus, force cannot be used where the only justification is to control the behavior of a student who is damaging property, causing a disturbance, or acting out in a way that does not pose a threat of death or bodily harm. So this is the organization that basically insures these cities. We don't see a problem with this law. Mendota Heights Police Chief Kelly McCarthy says she believes many cities will follow the League of Minnesota Cities guidance since it's their insurance provider. McCarthy, former chair of the Minnesota Peace Officer Training and Standards Board, says she believes panic around the law change is political. I think the hysteria is partisan, McCarthy said. So here you have, here's the original story that basically lays out that, no, this is, you, you can stop fights, you can stop murders, you can stop crime, you can do all these things. There's no restrictions. And even when you don't have that, it comes down to the county attorney in any individual county being able to determine whether or not charges should be filed against the police. So relatively, this is lip service. I mean, there is very little in the way of accountability that's going to happen with a police officer. It just is. There's just not going to be accountability. But the mere idea that there could be accountability is so infuriating for these officers and some of these schools that they basically have to try to stop it. And granted, the Republicans desperately need something that they can campaign on. So right now, Republicans are hoping violence breaks out in a school and there isn't an SRO there. And so they can say, see, see. Because that's they don't they don't Republicans considering how they act around gun violence in schools they don't care how many kids get killed as long as they can use it for a political narrative and that's and if you say Matt that's kind of hard well that's them and the other side of it is that basically the the the, the attorney general the insurer and even a former head of the Minnesota Peace Officer Training and Standards Board all have said this is perfectly legit and if the people who are complaining about it are partisan. Once again, that should have been the end of it. Nice job, Minnesota Reformer. You laid out the information. This was done and there. The crap-ass job of the Twin Cities, particularly the Twin Cities news media, to not follow up on these basic facts is... One of the reasons why still today, much to my chagrin, I am still freaking talking about this. Because as much as they push back on this, I'm going to push back harder. Because after yesterday when John Jasinski, the Republican senator from the Faribault-Owatonna area, was on a show of some sort where they were talking about the good old days where someone could smack a kid around, it's clear to me what really is the goal here. And that is the idea that smacking kids around is somehow going to teach responsibility. It's going to teach somehow, uh, you know, you know, the, the, the kid to be a better kid. And it's not just going to create a world of fear. So 
Obviously, still more on this because this is the story that just will not freaking die. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. Dave, I'll get your call in after the break. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Nine fifty, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Let's go to David in St. Paul before I get into some more of this stuff. Welcome on in, David. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Matt. I just want to, you know, um, these police officers. Maybe they need training in in what like scope of practice means. Um, like when when you're in the hospital or something, Matt. You know, we, there's different levels of what different people can do and can't do. And if someone's getting um, out of hand or out of control, you use the least level of force, okay? Yeah. If something happens, everyone knows that, you know, then you get the experts involved, okay? So then if you're in a school and someone and someone is going to be, um, let's say something's happening, are we saying we're going to prosecute a fellow student if they go stop someone or break up a fight and hurt someone who was instigating this? Are we going to prosecute the student? No, that does because not happen. Because they broke up the fight? Yeah. So, so, so what's the difference if a student breaks up a fight or an SRO person? I mean, it's just logically, like I said, Matt, they need to look at their scope of practice, what they're able, and, and someone should sit down with them and just maybe explain simple, you know, law enforcement 101. It's David, right? Yep. Hey, David, so one thing I want to ask you really quick. One could make an argument that this whole thing comes from the fact that there is this this mentality, this warrior training mentality that has basically encompassed police departments in the last 20 years, where it is this, you know, you've got to treat them that everything's, you know, every time you go out in the beat, it's John McClane at Nakatomi Plaza and Hans Gruber is basically trying to rob the place and you have to do whatever you can at any point to do things because it's warrior training. Don't, I, I look at that and I see what they're trying to do here with the students and it just is, they just don't have a... They, it's not they don't have an off switch. They don't even know how to pump the freaking brakes anymore. That's what at least it seems like to me. Yeah, or or even or even how to turn it on to to stop a situation from even getting to that point. Like I, you're just going to jump into warrior mode and pull out your gun, and you know because and, and you know de escalation and things like that. Like you know, so like like I said, are we going to start prosecuting fellow students who break up these fights? No, nope. if they if they're you know I mean so I mean there's no talk about the indiscretion of of a prosecutor or like you said Keith Ellison already clarified this it's kind of like who needs to go back to law school or who needs to go back to training 101 to figure this out that you know so well okay, and, and, thanks, and, man. David I appreciate the phone call and and it, it, you say it's not only Keith Ellison the governor Keith Ellison the the insurance agency for most of the cities in the in the state. Other police departments have all weighed in saying this is perfectly legit. And at no point does the Twin Cities freaking media point this out to these people who keep screaming that every child's going to die today. Ah! And that's their mentality. Oh, and, and by the way, don't mistake. This is this warrior training. Well, if I can't wrestle a kid down, I mean, he could have a nuclear bomb in his backpack. Are you saying, is Matt McNeil saying that you'd rather have a nuclear bomb go off at a school? I think we're grateful that the cop basically choked that kid out. That's their mentality. Because once again, 
This law is not even a freaking law. Police can basically stop a fight. They can stop any kind of of threat of danger. They can stop crimes. They can do all that stuff. They can pull kids off other kids who are fighting with each other. They can do all that stuff. Anything else, if it's determined that there's a question on whether they crossed a line, the, 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 the decision to prosecute will be handled by the local county attorney. And I can already tell you across the board, that's not me. Those cops are not going to be held accountable. That even if a cop went up to a kid and the kid was saying, you know, I'm going to chew my gum all day long. And the cop says, I'm going to smack you in the head and smacks that gum out of their mouth. More than likely, the county attorney will come out and they'll, although I don't agree necessarily that smacking a 14-year-old is the right thing to do, the cop had his reasons and I'm not going to prosecute the crime. Done. What this, what this is really about, well, it's two things. It's one, it's just political. Look at all the school districts and the right-wing school districts that are pulling the SROs. And by the way, that's not just all right-wing school districts. Some of the right-wing school districts are keeping their SROs in place. This is just the ones who are willing to use their own school for a political prop. The right-wing sheriffs. My God, I've gotten tons of pictures of some of these sheriffs at some of these right-wing events that it's the case. And, and once again, this is, this is the Republican Party desperate for an issue, putting out the cop signal. And I want to remind you that the Republican Party in Minnesota for years now has basically said to police, we will make it to where you can basically murder somebody. And you're more than likely going to get away with it because all you'll have to do is say, I was scared and you'll get away with it. And as we see, all the time. That is kind of the thing. I was scared. That's why I murdered him. And what you're seeing is that the police, when you look at George Floyd, when you look at any of the cases, you know, you know, Jaleel Stallings, you look at this, they, they, they basically take this as a get out of jail free card. And that, that the entire system is so weighed in their favor that they, they are so incensed that the, the what what the one thing they're trying to do okay you got the political side of it which is republicans trying to create an issue and recruiting the police to try to help them make a political issue out of it and not all police but just some of them and because once again the dfl didn't pull any of these ki- these cops out of these schools these right-wing police departments and these right-wing school districts they're the ones that did that but when it comes to the police mentality what they want is the ability to have oh there's there's a story that comes on out where there's there's a there's a there was a kid there and you know he's in the he's in the ER right now because he was asphyxiated uh, the police had him in a hold and you know the police the the, the first story is well he thank god they 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 they, they, they caught that guy that kid was out of control and then all of a sudden there's going to be video footage showing a kid basically minding his own business and a cop coming up and putting him in a chokehold and putting him on the ground. And all of a sudden, the same police department who was telling you, oh, that kid deserved it, they're also, well, I know what the video shows, but we should basically hold off on judgment until we get the full story. And what they want is, when the full story comes on out, that the cop was just a rageaholic in a warrior mode and decided that that kid needed to be taught a lesson and chokes the kid out and puts him in the ER, that when that comes to light, 
they want to be able to walk away scot-free. Oh, don't worry. We've got our stern wagon finger out. Oh, we're going to wag our finger at him. And there's going to be some sort of remedial training. But I think we've all learned our lesson here. So there, nothing else needs to happen. That's it. They want to, when they cross a line and they abuse a child in a school, they want no accountability for it. That's all this is. That and the political side of it. Now, yesterday I, I ripped on KSTP for their joke of a story where they basically put out there, there was apparently a fight in Mankato. It was 10 kids. So I, I don't quite understand. By the way, I've had multiple people tell me that even if the SRO was in Mankato East, that that fight will probably have gone for quite a while before the SRO even got there because the SRO they have there is not exactly great. That's at least, that's the story I've heard from other people. But that being said, I, I mean, when it was 10 kids fighting and there's one SRO, what, is he going to pull the gun? Are you? Because if you're crazy, if you think that I would rather have police officers pulling guns in school. I mean, that's crazy just because there's a fight. And I pointed out the fact that this is part of the problem. I mean, in this case of this KSTP story, who failed to acknowledge what the law does. In their story, they vary the situation um, that they basically, this is how they label it. I read it to you. The new law prohibits SROs from placing a student in face down position and bans certain holds on the neck, head, neck, and across most of the torso. That's all they say, which basically is not even the law. The law says that no, all that still applies if there's a fight or anything like that. KSTP specifically, but it looks like with intent, left that information out of this because you can't create political pablum without basically kind of ignoring the facts. They must be starting to figure out that the public is turning against them on this issue because yesterday they had a new press conference where they really were hammering on the table. Um, during Wednesday press conference, the new law banning the use of the prone restraints on students, meaning placing a student in a face-down position, is putting student safety at risk. I want to make sure we just understand what they're saying. That in their world, the safer situation is for some 220-pound roid-raging cop to, put, to throw a kid on the floor and put a knee on their neck or face or back or head or chest, that that is a safer scenario for that child than not doing it. This is their argument, that safety is somehow being sacrificed unless a cop can basically beat the crap out of a kid in a school. That's unbelievable, but that's where they're going with it. They're desperate to try to make this into a special session. Um, the House Minority Leader Lisa DeMuth is saying that, that Walls is kowtowing to the party's left wing. No. Okay. Once again, Lisa, why did the Rochester, Duluth, Bloomington, Minnetonka, Lakeville, why did all their police, Brooklyn Center, why did all their police departments go put their SROs back in the school? You've got all these cops out there who are trying to make this seem like there's not a safe child in the state. First of all, only 28% of all schools have SROs in the state. The vast majority still have their SROs in place. So this is a small percentage of them. So I want you to explain to me if those school districts think this is okay, why aren't the rest of them? 
because they're taking a risk and they're putting they're putting the safety of the kids ahead of their own political agenda. That's the reason why she won't answer that. But um, the law uh, basically uh, it, it it they're kind of concerned that this is not going to have the traction. So they're calling in their chips with the police to basically the school day unless seem like every child's going to die at the end of the school day unless you can basically convince them that they they need to be able to choke out a 14-year-old at will. <laughs> yeah, this this is crazy that's gone this long and I want to make sure I take a moment here to really hammer on the Twin Cities news media, whose incredible lack of basic follow-up questions, or in the case of KSTP, outright not reporting what the news is to basically make one side look better than the other. You have allowed this issue to continue there. And now you have John Jasinski yesterday. Heartland Signal has an audio of him basically romanticizing the days when kids could be abused in school. And not a single damn one of you has gone out there and said, wait a minute, here's a sitting Minnesota senator who thinks that basically smacking a kid around in a school is a good idea. Not a single damn one of you. If I am the, the, the bellwether of honesty in journalism, then we're screwed. I shouldn't be. I, I am a talk show host. And if not for the Minnesota reformer, I don't know if anyone would be getting the honest news on this stuff. <coughs> and that's not because Minnesota reformer is putting out false news or liberal news. They're just putting out the freaking news. You guys won't even confront these guys with a, well, why has Rochester got their SROs in place? Or considering that basically the county attorney will be able to decide whether or not charges should be filed, aren't most of your county attorneys in the state far right-wing guys? So aren't they basically safe there? And why exactly do you need to, without cause, put a, put a chokehold on a kid? Can you explain that to me? A 13-year-old child? They don't want to answer these questions. And I don't know if it's because, well, if I answer, the, if I ask them these questions, they're not going to call on me on the next press conference and I might not have access. Do your gosh dang jobs, will you? Just do your damn jobs. I am the only reason I am still talking about this is because the Twin Cities news media is not is covering this story only solely from one side. And the more that I read about this story, the more I keep saying to myself, this is an absolute joke that this has even gone this far. Less than 10% of the schools in the state have an SRO that's been pulled. Less, and almost all of them are far right-wing districts. Come on, man. Jesus. Anyway, speaking of the Minnesota reformer, once again, they lead by example. They decided to ask the question, do kids think they're safe in schools? Well, let's find out. After the break, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.
950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. So the Minnesota Reform puts out an exceptional article here that basically, I'll, I'll read it out here. The, uh, the unspoken assumption behind much of the debate is that schools can be a dangerous place and that police presence empowered to use physical force against students is necessary to maintain their safety and security. But there has been little discussion on whether that assumption is actually true or whether armed law enforcement officials are the best solution for whatever disciplinary problems schools may be facing. There are a number of high-quality data sources that can be used to measure the safety of a Minnesota schools, but they all come from the problem of uh, different angles. They include surveys, which ask students about their experiences in schools. We've plotted the number of these findings below. Uh, Views on school safety, um, they basically are the, since 2013, the Minnesota School Student Survey has asked students how safe they feel in school, as well as their experiences with violence. The portion of 11th graders saying they agree or strongly agree with the statement, I feel safe at school, has consistently hovered around 90%. So there you go. Most students still haven't, they still think they're safe in school. A survey also asked whether students have personally been hit, slapped, shoved, or kicked at school by someone who wasn't kidding around. That figure hasn't changed at all. 92% of 11th graders say they have never experienced that in 2013. 93% said they never experienced that in 2022. So it's actually fewer kids have actually experienced that. That suggests that growing concerns about safety may be more related to external factors than to students' actual personal issues. Uh, the Department of Education reports major disciplinary incidents, primarily those resulting in out-of-school suspensions to the state legislature every year. The biggest driver of those incidences is general disruption and disorderly conduct, which uh, usually accounts for about 20 to 30 percent of the disciplinary actions. Um, basically the, the school fights and violence are often lumped into a broader crime trends in popular discourse, but unlike violent crime, there's no discernible pandemic era spike in student violence. The number of major disciplinary issues in 2022 was down actually slightly from the number reported in 2019. So that's, there's no, there's no there there. You're getting the idea here. Uh, rates of uh, drug use, alcohol use, premarital sex, and interpersonal violence are all down among American teenagers. Juvenile arrest records show a similar trend. From 2001 to 2022, the number of teenagers arrested in Minnesota fell from 52,000 to just 10,500, a decrease of near 80%. By comparison, adult arrests are down about 40% over that same period. Juvenile arrests did increase slightly between 2021 and 2022. So it'll be worth keeping an eye on that number. But once again, it's been dropping dramatically since 2021. Uh, None of this is to suggest that some schools aren't facing very real disciplinary challenges. Acts of violence like fatal stabbing in St. Paul High School earlier this year do happen and can have a devastating effect on the families and the communities involved. But these incidents are the exception rather than the rule. The general positive data from student surveys and the relatively stable trend in disciplinary actions coupled with plummeting uh, arrest rates suggest overall that the situation in Minnesota schools is a lot less dire than politicians and law enforcement officers are giving them credit for. This is a made-up story. Thank you, Minnesota Reformer. Those are numbers. This is a made-up story, and they're running with it all the time. I want to say at the beginning of this, there are some questions I would I wish that the media would ask the school districts and the police officers and the politicians who are, you know, probably banging on on their on their gavels and and base, with their gavels and insisting we need to change things. I want you to answer one very specific question. Can you please explain to me how allowing an SRO to chokehold out a 14-year-old in a school district at any point 
how that builds character versus creates fear. Because you know what? You're not creating, you're not building character when you choke out a 14-year-old in school. What you're really doing is creating fear. And the reality is the Republicans and the police, I think that's really their ultimate goal. Hour two is up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Thursday. Good to be with you today, Matt and Patrick here. 952-946-6205, uh, Jessica Chastain. You know, Patrick, do you, uh, do you know of this actress? I actually don't. You don't? Zero Dark Thirty? You never saw Zero Dark Thirty? That's probably the most... Is, would that be her? Well, she played... Uh, didn't she play uh, the, the Tammy Faye Baker in that one movie where she got nominated for the Oscar, didn't she? I couldn't tell you for uh, sure it's okay. possible. <laughs> you really have no idea. Uh, okay. Uh, who's our starting center tonight in the Vikes game? Austin Schlotman. Thank God, my God, man. My, we, sometimes we do run in different circles. I have no idea. It's Because uh, our, our center tonight, that guy's injured, right? Yep, that's right. He uh, struggled with some injuries late last season and hurt something against Tampa Bay on Sunday. And that's tough when it's, you know, four days from game to game. You know what would be a story? If Jessica Chastain was our starting center. <laughs> That's, there we go. I'd be watching that game tonight. Go. Uh, Jessica Chastain. She's an actress out there. Um, th- this is, I got to admit, I'm going to be on her side 100%. And I don't know what this diss is, but considering it involves Target, uh, you know, I'm a little bit, okay, what are you doing? Jessica Chastain called out the shady headline for suggesting she shopped at Target to get into character for her new movie, Memory. Is it about someone who shops at Target? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people shop at Target. The Los Angeles Times story she called out was titled, Jessica Chastain shopped at Target to get in character as a normal person who leads a simple life in her new movie. The actor clarified that shopping at the big box chain store wasn't the usual part and, and the unusual part. It was buying her own clothes for the movie. Such a shady and clickbait headline she wrote uh, on Twitter for um, the interesting part was that I shopped at Target. I do it all the time. Best holiday decorations and school supplies It was where I got into character by shopping for my own costumes. That's not the normal part. So basically... Yeah, it's it's which is by the way is kind of a cool thing. I got to imagine if you're an actor and they say, by the way, we need you, you you're you're supposed to look like a suburban mom. I want you to go to Target and go go find the wardrobe. You're that's on you. We're gonna give you a thousand dollars. It'll be your wardrobe for Target. All right, off you go. Kind of a fun thing to do, and it kind of an interesting concept here. But this whole thing is like I'm I, I I've decided to go visit the smaller people. I get that celebrities I you know to a point I mean celebrities they 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 live in a very interesting world they really do I I I kind of I to a point I feel sorry for them because many of them are just like you and I they just what they do for a living is they they're in movies and TV and Sure, it's easy to look at some of the big celebrities who have had success and say, wow, they've got a lot of money, but the vast majority of them don't. And as a matter of fact, one of the things 
I think the SAG after strike has done is that especially a lot of people who are working on these streaming movies or on TV series, they don't make any money at all unless the series is a outright successful, massive hit. And there really is, that's, I, that, that doesn't seem to happen that much anymore. So the fact that, and, 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 you know, know how I know Jessica Chastain is legit because she's right. It does have pretty good holiday decorations and school supplies. Like what, what are you going on? I'm going to go have my handmade notebooks made. You know, it's like, come on, man. That's not how it works. Handmade notebooks. Not you a dying guy. No. Where do I find those? Are the the people made from, like, young lambs or something from, like, Estonia? Ooh, ooh, fancy schmancy. My little junior will look so, so impressive in school. Now we're dying a guy. Jessica Chastain went on to add here. I was in Target Nashville at the time. I went to Target, Jessica Chastain told IndieWire, for the costume choice on Wednesday. We were moving quickly. I think I spent, like, 130 bucks, and I bought it back, and we did a fitting... Uh, Michael told me that our cinematographer uh, goes, uh, she still looks too chic. There was a lot to try, so we just scrubbed Jessica of any kind of movie star feeling that we can. So I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that I was doing my own hair every day. It was kind of fun. In memory, Chastain plays Sylvia, a recovering alcoholic with childhood trauma, along with a budget wardrobe. Chastain didn't wear makeup when playing the character. So, yeah. She also didn't have a trailer on set. I'm not doing a movie to be pampered, Chastain told IndieWire. I wanted to be, if I, if I want to be pampered, I'll go to a spa. I'm doing a film work and I'm trying to be creative. I don't need to sit by myself in a trailer. While promoting memory at the Venice Film Festival, Chastain said she was nervous to do it amid the actors and Rider Strike memory had an interim agreement with SAG AFTRA, so Chastain was allowed to do press. Uh, I'm here because SAG-AFTRA has been explicitly clear that the way to support the strike is to post on social media, walk the picket line, and work to support interim agreement projects. So there you go. Um, yeah, just, you know, okay, why are you dogging on Target, you know, LA, was it the LA Times? Um, yeah, the LA Times. Why are you dogging on Target, man? I mean, have you, have, I, I can't go, I'm sorry, I can't go to Walmart, man. Not only do I think about how they, you know, how it's Walmart. But at the same time, it's like I go in there and why why are shoes next to corn on the cob next to you know direct DVD videos? Why are all these things together? It may are they all made of corn? I mean, is, is it, what, what's going on here? It doesn't make any sense. The the great that's have you how, how many times have you ever walked into Walmart and you ask them, it's like, hey, where uh, where are the cheese balls? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for your guidance. I'll I'll be it'll be like the it'll be like the the uh, the store in Idiocracy where it just goes on for acres and acres. I don't know. It's in here somewhere. You can just sleep anywhere you want to. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. I mentioned earlier that there was you know that you know sometimes it 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 it's it's somewhat funny how the news sometimes kind of leaves out things just to kind of you know, drive a narrative. And this morning across the the gamut, there was a whole bunch of things like, well, if you live in Utah or Texas or Florida, things are great for you. Everyone else, your pay raises were wiped out by inflation. Uh, The U.S. Census Bureau released its 2022 American Community Survey, Survey results. The data shows that median incomes when adjusted for inflation declined in both the Twin Cities Metro and the Minnesota between 2019 and 2022. For years, median incomes in Minnesota were rising faster than inflation. 
state demographer, uh, state demographer, 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 uh, Susan Brower told Axios, this is a reversal of that trend. Well, didn't you guys scream about inflation? So inflation, went, which went to, oh, by the way, it wasn't inflation. If the company is making record profits, that's just good old fashioned greed. You guys refuse to want to acknowledge that. Brower cautioned that the data is lagging because it surveyed people about their 2021 income. Since then, incomes in Minnesota have kept rising while inflation has been cooling here. Inflation-adjusted median household income in Minnesota fell 4.5% from 60, excuse me, 68, 86, 86,228 to 82,338. The decline was slightly worse in the Twin Cities, uh, falling 5.6% to 91,341. Nationally, median household income fell by 1.6 between 2019-2022, adjusted for inflation. And they, they, these stories that are coming on out feature, like I said, they feature these maps of what states are doing great, and they put Florida in there, which I think is just a hoot. Because one of the things that this story, this survey, doesn't factor in is how many, I mean, well, okay, we'll just do home insurance in Florida. <sighs> I mean, what's your house insurance? What's your apartment and house insurance here in the cities? If you, you got it, what you paying eight hundred, a thousand, two thousand, maybe three thousand dollars per month, something like that. In Florida, you if you can find an insurance agent who will insure your house, you're generally looking because you have to have the flood, and you have to have the wind, and you have to have the hurricane, and yet you know you have to have the storm insurance. You have to have all the different kinds. You're looking at $12,000 a month in just insurance, let alone how many services do we get here in Minnesota, which either cost minimal amount or are free for the citizens of Minnesota, while in Florida, they have to pay top dollar because their state doesn't offer any of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. That that factors in there. If if you are wanting to do a a story on this, I I mean I understand why you did it. You did it because this was this out, but it's it's only partial things. I mean, it's one of those things where people are going to come out. Well, Minneapolis is so bad. Look at this bad. Well, the truth is, is but do you get what do you get for living here? And frankly, in Minnesota, you get a heck of a lot. Just talking to um, this last week, and we had there's a, a, a neighborhood get together, and just talking to some new people who moved into our neighborhood, and they're from out of the state, and I can't remember where they're from. Anyway, they they just moved here, and the first two things they said is, I cannot believe how nice all the parks are. The parks are amazing, and they're really nice, and they're clean, and all the equipment is brand new. It's that's amazing. And then they are talking about they their their kids started at the school, the, the local public school. And they're like, the schools here are amazing compared to what we had where we were at. Well, there you go. Yes. You you know, it's you know, there are some things like this, but at the same time, you're not having to pay for everything. You're not you you have quality all around you in Minnesota as opposed to the crap fest that's in Florida. And by the way, yeah, there is. It is amazing. You you go into Florida now, and you're you're going into a store, and there are Nazis screaming about kill all the Jews, 
as you're trying to go into a freaking Barnes and Noble. That's Florida now. It's crazy. That is crazy. So no, I you know it, like she said that the 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 article said that these numbers might not be factoring in for the 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 twenty twenty two increases they've seen, but the reality is is I'd still live here than I'd live anywhere else because you're saying to me oh you get you you might get a slight bit more of income versus inflation in Florida, but then you've got to live in Florida. Ugh. 952-946-6205. I want to come back. I want to, I, I'm going to take a little bit of an early break here. When I do come back, I want to talk about the reaction to me just posting the story about the the uh, the Carver County Libraries keeping the, the certain book up on the shelves and how these people are freaking crazy. They are nuts. We'll talk more about that in a second. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So, all right. So yesterday we, we had the story here. The Carver County Library Board unanimously decided to keep the graphic novel, Gender Queer, a memoir on the shelves after dozens of dozens of people condemned the request to remove the coming-of-age story from the shelves, which is good news. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a... We are... One of the things that I'm very glad to live in this time, that we are living in this time, is that it's not easy, but we are starting to come and accept the fact that there are LGBTQIA plus people on the planet and that it hasn't been easy for them. And that it hasn't been easy because of bigots and, and well, and, and if I can be, you know, <laughs> it is remarkable to me how many people have problems with the LGBTQIA plus community who also seem to have, some personal issues. How would I say it like that? Um, I am of the mindset is, you know, you, you, you've got one trip on this rock, you know, be happy doing it. And that's what makes you happy. As long as you're not breaking the law, I could care less. Off you go. Have a good time. The idea that there are books now geared towards not only you know, helping kids get through gender questions, but the black community, the black girl community, which is, is I think very important. Um, the Jewish community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, the native American community. I think that these are good things that, that basically help individuals see the world through their own perspective, not one forced on them by white America or straight America. And I am somewhat very happy with, with when you when you when you see that this this library did it. What they did is they all read the book. They all read it. Um, they all read it, and they all said oh, they were going to keep it. They voted unanimously to keep the book. So good news. <sighs> then comes the trolls. Holy God. 
the there is I, I have said this this push on the right to to vilify and hate the LGBTQIA plus community that 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 they basically this is the Republicans desperately trying to create another social issue to keep the the the, the Christian right who basically blindly followed them through abortion in the fold. And it's, I don't think it's working. I, I, I think, but it, it definitely is resonating with some people. The, the tone of the people who are lashing out that this book exists is as if that all of us who are tolerant, accepting, caring, welcoming, speaking of Christians, but you do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. That that's not who we are. That what we're doing is we're grabbing five-year-old randomly, prying their eyes open like it's clockwork orange, and forcing them to watch hardcore gay porn at all hours. That that's what they honestly think they're doing. Do you remember that woman that was protesting the store down in Chaska? That there was the talk that this is this this hero complex that these people, you know, convince themselves of that that they're really there to stop something from going on, and it's clear that these people honestly think something is going on that's not really going on. And 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 so and once again, the first thing that happens is this was the Carver County Library. It wasn't a school library; it was the Carver County Library. And the first thing that happens is these school libraries are jamming this book down eight-year-old kids' throats. No, they're not. This is not the school library. This is the Carver County Library. You can call a school library and ask them what their policy is on certain books. You can do that. Um, but that's not it. The, 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 say, the, the answer always is for them is the same thing always, which is I'm a groomer. I'm, 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 I'm trying to sex traffic children. I'm trying to do these things just because I believe that people should be able to read a book that might not actually apply to me, but it, you know, can help, you know, teen kids figure out their lives. And I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with that. We have uh, all these people that want to sit there and they say, they say, oh, I'm against children being exposed to this. It, it's such a stupid argument anyway. Now, I'm not saying I would respect them anymore if they went into a library and demanded every book that has heterosexual sex scenes in it removed from the library. But at no point do these people even bat an eye at that. In their mind, those kind of sex scenes are perfectly fine, I guess, for children. And they don't have any other things with it. 
I, I th- th- that's the argument. One guy tried to argue that you know he's talking about if porn mags should we put porn mags in the in the the lobby of every elementary school, and I said no, we shouldn't do that. But that's not what we're doing here. By the way, you do realize pretty much every gas station in the country has porn mags in it, right? And by the way, do you know when you pass a kid who's on a tablet? What that has access to? The internet. Have you seen the amount of porn that's on the internet? Weird stuff, too. It is tons out there. And their argument to save, they try to save everyone, this, 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 I'm the hero of the story that's running around in my own mind. Their narrative is if I can get that one book off the shelf, all the kids are safe. And that's just a freaking joke, man. If you were trying to ban all the books, I'd still think you're a monster, but at least you'd be a consistent monster. The The way you are today, it's just, it, it's clear there is no thought. There's no rationale. There's nothing outside of howler monkey, monkey screaming at the top of your lungs. And when things don't go your way to basically accuse all your enemies of being the worst on the planet. And by the way, I've already contacted two people who have made comments about me and they're good. They're talking to my lawyers now. So it's just that simple. You, 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 you just, that's who they are. And they're so blinded by their desire. The fact that they're the hero of their own story, that they don't take two seconds to step back and realize, wow, this is actually I'm really a horrible person. I'm not trying to keep kids safe because this has nothing to do with any other books outside of ones that I just don't like that lifestyle. And that being said is the far, the far bigger exposure for any kid today is not the public library. I mean, heck how many kids today, what's the percentage of kids today who have stepped in a public library in the last 10 years? 50, maybe 40, not saying that some kids, you know, when we were young, we took the kids in there all the time. And sure. We occasionally still go to the library. It was one of those things we always enjoyed, but there are a lot of kids, my friend's kids who never went to the library, never once, whether their parents bought them the books or if they just got them from their school library. I don't know. But the reality is, is that you guys want to sit there and act as if you, you somehow you're winning the game by pulling one trying to get one book banned in one set of libraries and the kids can read the damn book online as it is anyway. You guys aren't the heroes. You're, you're the villains. You're, you're asking to do what Hitler has done, what Stalin did, all of that. You just the, the banning of books, vilification of certain peoples, not because anything you say is right, but because you are so desperate to be the hero of your own story, you don't even realize you're the villain. I, it is amazing to me. I, I mean, I'll post a few from the Facebook page that just, you know, just the, the way that they are, I am saving every child. No, you're not. Stop trying to manage anyone else's kid. I, I mean, it's, it's, 
I find it hilarious the amount of people that complain about the sexualization of children but allow their children to have Instagram pages, for God's sakes, and TikTok feeds. Dear Lord, what, what's wrong with you people? You don't even, you don't, people don't even see the forest for the trees, which makes this argument when I, when you get this, you realize this isn't anything cohesive. This is just, these are the crazy people that used to always exist in our society, but we knew to avoid them because the only place you could see them was when they were ranting and throwing their hands in the air as they roamed down the street. Now they've got a, what looks to be a respectable profile picture and a social media account but they're still the howler monkey loon balls that we always knew them to be. Don't ban the books. Don't ban the books. Because the reality is, is that that's, that's, that's just a fool who has never been a winner in their life, desperately trying to find some way that they can be the hero of their own story. And the reality is, is that story just doesn't even exist. And they, if they took two seconds to step back and even think about what they were doing, they'd realized how misguided they were. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come back. Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. You know, I, I tried to play hooky one time. Well, no, I, I mean, I skipped school when I was a kid, but I, I, I tried to do it on a large scale once, Patrick. I was a young kid. I was living in Wickford, Rhode Island. And like every Rhode Island kid, you're, you, you go into swimming classes because that's what you do. You go out to the ocean and you, you swim. Someone had signed me up for the wrong class. And so I get there and the first thing they say to me is, okay, we're going to swim out to the big rock and back. And the big rock, you know, I was a little kid. I'm probably about, you know, seven or eight years old. And the big rock was probably about maybe 10 swimming pool lengths out into the water. And funny story, it was a large rock. The big rock was a large rock. And it was during high tide, the very top of it was visible, but during low tide, you could almost walk out to it completely. And it was a pretty large rock that was out there. So I, I immediately freak out and realize, okay, this is not right. And I get in the water and the teenager lifeguard person who was there quickly realizes like, okay, are you supposed to be in this class? Because... I mean, I was, I mean, everyone else is like, you know, Phelps gone. And I am like, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm barely, I'm still at the point where I could actually dig my hands into the, the bottom of the seafloor and pull myself across. And I still wasn't able to pull that one off. And I said, I don't think I'm supposed to be in this class. And the kid told me, he said, oh, that's okay. Sometimes that happens. What I want you to do is when your mom comes, picks you up, okay. That, that I want you to tell her uh, that, you know, you're in the wrong class and that you need to get into the basic class. Oh, okay. Thank you. You just go, you know, for the rest of the class. And this is the day before cell phones or anything. And no one called. Even if you had a crisis, you didn't call unless the kid was a shark got him. You know, that was, that's the only way. Hey, we'll call you. Hey, bad, bad news about little Billy there. I got, I got something for you. Uh, sorry about that. It was, a, it was a man of war. But, hey, you know, we'll all remember him. That sort of thing. 
And I remember I waited over by the community stage in Wickford. And I'd felt bad. I was, I would felt like I'd somehow screwed up. And so my mom came and picked me up and I said, and she said, well, how'd swimming go today? Oh, fine. And I didn't say anything else because I thought I'd screwed up. And so she never transferred me out. What would happen is I would go to the beach and get out of the car and, you know, you know, Usually, back in the '70s, when you did this, you know, the next sound you heard were the tires squealing of your car, the, your parents' car. They they couldn't get away fast enough, and so I basically just went over and hung out by the 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 theater. And I may go swim a little bit myself. Go maybe go see if I can find some some cohogs because it was Rhode Island, and they, they call them clams. Those are clams. They're just big clams. They're cohogs. And I go into oh, just hang out, and they come in. Hey, it was great. I tried this for. I think I got to the like the fourth time, and I guess one of the lifeguards had noticed. Well, who's this kid over here? And they finally figured out it was me, and that I hadn't talked to my mom, and that oh well, you know, and and it was you know a minor problem. But I'd kind of I was that age. Oh, I screwed up and all this. I I skipped away. My mom was livid with me. She goes, "Why didn't you just tell me I was in the wrong class?" I don't know. I just I found cohogs, you know, and that was kind of the story there. And, 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 but this wasn't any kind of grand trying to, to, you know, escape being tardy or, 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 you know, you know, skipping out here. It was just, it was like four classes, voluntary thing. And yeah, I, I got put in the right class and things were fine. And I, and I say this because I'm going to read a story to you about absenteeism, which stuns me because it's it's kind of hard to comprehend how we've gotten to this point where where you have a kid i mean i remember a few kids when i was in elementary school and in junior high who who had serious illnesses that that still were at school as much as they could be and stuff like this but we've got a real epidemic here and i just i'm i'm having a hard time wrapping myself or my head around how in the world we've gotten to the point where it's this bad for the first time in four years, Minnesota has released fresh information on one of its key measures of school success, chronic absenteeism. In keeping with the increasingly worrisome national trend, the numbers are dire, with the statewide number of students who attend class consistently dropping from 85% to less than 70%. That is nuts. 30% of the students who attend, 30% of the students who are in school do not attend class on a consistent basis. That's crazy. The dramatic decline obscures much lower school-going rates among students who've already suffered disproportionately in the COVID-19 crisis. In some of Minnesota's highest poverty schools, fewer than one in four students go to class on a regular basis. Wow. Despite the dismal numbers, there has been virtually no public discussion about the link between students' chronic absences and continuing declines in reading and math performances post-pandemic. Also unmentioned is the widening gap in attendance and academic recovery between affluent and disadvantaged students. The new numbers are available on the state school data dashboard, but visitors must navigate through several submenus to find the relevant information. Data from the past years is contained in a very large spreadsheet found in another part of the website. 
Defined as missing 10% or more of school days, chronic absenteeism was a crisis before the disruptions in the pandemic and has only worsened. According to Attendance Playbook, a joint report from the think tank FutureEd and the nonprofit Attendant Works, Attendance Works, there are more than one in five U.S. students, at least 10 million, missed more than 10% of the 2020-2021 school year. Since schools have reopened, the number of chronic absences has risen more than doubling in many states. Now, this isn't kids who are basically not going to school at all. They're just, they're missing 20 to 30 classes per year. I mean, there's that they kind of school days per year. I mean, I don't, I mean, and like I said, I can only look at it from my perspective. I remember my kids who went to school. I mean, my son's still in college right now. He's my oldest. I have a kid in high school now. I always remember at the beginning of the school year finding out it's like you only have a certain amount of days you can miss. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted that that. I mean, it's it's. I guess the question I have is: these kids aren't being moved forward. I mean, if you're missing an entire month or two months of school. Un, you know, an unexcused absences. You you're not graduating them to the next grade, are you? I talk more about that in a second. Um, many of the chronic absentees have risen more than doubling in many states. Minnesota's numbers underscore an even harsher reality. As with declines in student wellness and academic achievement, the pain is not distributed equally. The children who were already behind in the pandemic have suffered continuing compounding effects. In Minneapolis public schools, for instance, the overall attendance rate fell from 79 to 46 percent from 2009 to 2022. Once again, I want to make sure we understand that, that 54 percent of the school is missing 10 or more days of school per year. While the number of white students attending school 90% or more at the time dropped from 90% to 59%, the number of black students fell from 71% to 32%. For Native Americans, from 44 to 24%, and for Latinos, from 78 to 44%. Attendance among children receiving special education services plummeted from 63 to 37%. Research showing why it, it matters is clear. A middle schooler who misses two or fewer days each year has a 93% chance of starting high school on track to graduate. Okay, so once again, I'm going to make And by the way, this story comes from MinPost. The, the middle schooler who misses two or fewer days each year has a 93% chance of starting high school on track to graduate versus 66% for a child who misses two or more weeks. By ninth grade, a week absence each semester equals a drop of more than 20% in the likelihood of earning a diploma. On the most recent NAEP exam, the students who scored the worst had missed the most school before the test. The White House Council of Economic Advisors also released research tying increases in student absenteeism to a meaningful portion of post-pandemic learning loss. Barriers to reading uh, regular attendance are higher among lower-income families, according to Phyllis Johnson, a longtime absenteeism researcher who authored the Future Ed Attendance Works report The Gap Widened Attendance at wealthy and undersourced schools has widened. In 2019, 77% of Minnesota students statewide who qualified for subsidized school meals attended regularly, compared to 57% in 2022. At the district's wealthiest schools, attendance was high in 2022, 87% at Armitage Elementary and Burroughs Community. For example, meanwhile, 25% of children consistently attended high poverty Nellie Stone Johnson and just 17.5% at economically disadvantaged Bethune Arts Academy. Even more shocking, at Minneapolis Harrison Education Center, 
just 3% of students, one child, attended classes regularly. The center serves students who fit three demographic categories where attendance is historically low, high schoolers living in poverty and on special education plans because of challenging behavioral issues. Even though September was the first Minneapolis school board meeting since the state released the data, the topic did not come up. Instead, board members heard a presentation. Okay, can I, when I read this story, and, and, and an excellent piece here, because sometimes when, when you have someone who writes something like this, you all of a sudden go no duh. The reason why there is a, a worsening math and reading problem in schools is got to be this. I mean, if, if you're in a math class, say you're in a, an eighth grade math, cl- math class and you miss seven to 10 days per month, how are you even going to be able to catch up on something like that? I, uh, my life experience does not dictate everyone else's. By the way, Republicans, that's a that's that's a a statement you all could basically have uh, you know put on the wall like some sort of you know Michael's Arts thing. Your life experiences do not equate to experience in anyone else's life. Okay, okay. I it does stun me when you hear of this number of kids not attending school. I, I know that there's a lot of parents out there working two jobs, single parents working two jobs, you know, trying to get rent paid, trying to get food on the table. And so a kid going to school is not exactly their priority of the day. But I can't believe that the school is not informing them of some in some way or maybe they maybe they're not, I guess. I mean, if you if you're low income, and you don't have access to a computer on a regular basis. Is the school calling on a regular basis? Do they even do that anymore? I, I mean, I, I don't quite know what's going on here, but this seems to be the problem. I mean, I would make an argument. And no, I don't, I don't think you, you know, I, I can already see the, the fantasy world of conservatives, you know, buses with bars on them, you know, you know forced children, forcing them onto buses in, with, with shock collars and putting them in school districts. And if they, if they dare think about going outside for more than 20 seconds allotted, then basically they get zapped. I, I mean, I, you know, I, can, I can see how the, the far right would kind of look at this. But you've got a problem here. And part of this, as I read through this, I, I have talked about numerous times watching what's happened, what happened in the schools, the elementary, junior high, and high schools as my kids went through. And as budget cuts happened and as, as programs got cut, we were, in a, we were in the Hopkins School District and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like the draconian cuts you see in some of these school districts where they get rid of the arts program and they get rid of the theater program and anything, anything that's not basically teaching a test, they get rid of. No, it wasn't like that. But they did get rid of, in, in my kids' tenure, they did get rid of a lot of the advanced programs. And they also created a world, especially in, when it was in elementary school, and I remember this, where it was almost impossible to fail. And I talked about this before because I remember 
I remember like Mrs. Pierce, my first grade teacher, who had a full mustache, uh, a, a beautiful woman. Um, Mrs. Pierce, I remember her first day of class looking at us and saying, if, if you are, are, you know, if you, if you do not do the work in this class, you will fail. And we were all like, ah. and they, you know, I remember having teachers when I, and I actually conveyed that story and the teacher said, oh, that, that's not how we do things today. You know, you just try to keep them as close as you can. And one of the things I've talked about is that if you do not have a kid who's ready to graduate from first grade to second grade, and you put them into second grade anyway, and you do not solve the problem of why that they have not been able to keep up with things at the first grade, and then they go through the second grade, and so they're even further behind, and you still graduate. And by the time you get to sixth grade or seventh grade, what you've created is such a gap in the knowledge that the smartest kids are at, say, 1,990 to 1,000, and you have the kids who have graduated and are in there are seven, 800 points behind them. And you just create this massive gap because you're not getting the kids the basic education they need to move forward into the next grade. All right. I mean, that's the way it kind of I've always been concerned about that. I mean, is that is that one of the reasons why we're having failing math and and scores like this? But I almost kind of wonder, is this absentee problem kind of a an offshoot of that? Because one of the things that I have noticed is that when you ease the rules, generally that doesn't get people to come in the line. It gets people to see, well, how can I take advantage of the rules now? And if you, if you made this system, you know, to a point that the accountability element of this about the absenteeism less and less and less, because you don't want to feel like kids are pressured to be in a school and all this stuff. Well, is there any real surprise you've got numbers like this? And once again, I, I can only live in my own shoes. I, I'm, this is not, I mean, there are plenty of people out there who work their butts off. that are trying to get their kids to go to school and that just has not had any success. And I can understand some of that. But I can't. When you look at numbers like this, this is a this is almost a to a point a, a societal quitting, and and I just don't quite know what you do with it. But I mean, if you want to figure out why math and science and reading scores are down in the state of Minnesota, this is the problem. If you're having this low of attendance issues, I want to go back to where was it Minneapolis. Um. Minneapolis public schools, the overall attendance rate fell from 79% to 46%. Half the kids, so half the kids, over half the kids are not showing up at least, at least 10 days a year. And that's your best of that 54%. How many kids are enrolled in a school that don't show up but once three or four times a month? You read this story and you realize Maybe, just maybe, as we talk about this and we talk about reading and stuff, and, and hey, there's a lot of very smart education minds that are working on making testing and, and, and subjects more applicable to all people to where it's, it's easier to understand and easier to digest. And God bless you. I think that you're doing a great job. But, okay, are the kids showing up for class? Because maybe we're burying the lead here. Because I think we're burying the lead. How you solve this problem, that is the bigger question. And that is not one, like I said, I know I know how to begin to answer quickly. But yeah, that, this, is, this is the problem right here. I'm going to say this. The reason why our education scores are down in the, in the state of Minnesota and in Minneapolis-St. Paul is this 
one single reason. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. I don't know if I read this last paragraph that I, I, I pulled from this story from. Once again, it's on MinPost. Often, low attendance may be linked to obvious causes such as transportation and stable housing, but leaders also need to consider whether a school's climate is inviting and if staff had solid relationships with parents who many may have had bad experiences with schools themselves, said Jordan. Now, once again, I think you know it, it's transportation, stable housing. I think uh, obviously those are big issues. And I know in Minneapolis, they've had problems keeping enough buses running. And yeah, it, it's a little intimidating if you've got a, a kid and you're saying you need to take a public bus and take two transfers to get to your school or walk the six miles or four miles or whatever the case may be. Well, I mean, Minneapolis is a little bit closer, but well, it depends on where you're at, especially if it's high school, you might have a bit of a hike. But then, then, you know, that's not in winter. I can understand. It's like, do I want to go walk out in the cold or no stable housing? I mean, I obviously, you know, you've got an individual who it's a single parent. They're working really hard. They're just trying to keep the roof over someone's head and, and, and food on the table. You know, it's, it's hard at that point. I, I'm not going to question whether or not it's really, it's really a white person thing to do to say, well, they should be taking care of the kids. I, yeah. How many days have you had to worry about the roof over your head and food on the table? Because I'm going to tell you what, those are the priorities. And as much as you wish you could go out there and help your kid, you know, you know, with their science project, the reality is, is, is you've got more pressing things to do. The school's climate is inviting. All right. That one's a little bit of an interesting thing. And it's like, and if staff has solid relationships with parents who may have had bad experience with school themselves, so that's interesting. So is this now, what you're saying, is this a generational issue? that a parent themselves hated school, didn't like school, got no value from the school or felt like they got no value for the school and in turn have basically told their kids, I don't care what you do. You don't have to go to school. I'd prefer if you did, but you don't have to. I don't know. A school's climate is inviting. I can tell you what, for a lot of people, a cop in the school is not very inviting. And that's why I, one of the reasons why Minneapolis and St. Paul got rid of their SRO programs is because it wasn't exactly inviting. But I, I mean, there's yeah, what that seems like that in that paragraph. Once again, I mean, it's easy to say. I think personal circumstances there, um, the 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 impact of the school, the quality of the school education, the quality of the environment, all that stuff is viable. But I mean, I think when you're looking at this level of absenteeism. I had a friend. I had a friend. I'm not going to say where. I'm not going to say. He worked for um, a department in a state government, and he came in with the new governor. And he said that the first job that he had was to basically get people to stay sober during the day. And he said it was a much bigger challenge than you'd think. And you it never would really cross your mind that that was the case for him. Now, that was his issue. But that's a pretty big issue, and they managed to try to tackle it. When it comes to absenteeism in schools in Minneapolis, you guys are going to have to tackle this. 
And you can't ignore this. This is the reason why schools are having trouble. Uh, We're back tomorrow. Have a good one. Till then, see ya.